This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years with expertise across income and alternatives. Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. I am Maria Sharapova. I am an athlete and an owner of a candy business called Sugarpova. You go about your routines in your life and you go about when it's your job, you try to improve in your job, whether it's result oriented, whether it's ethic oriented, whether it's trying to get a better team, you're always looking to improve. So success is a very, it's a moment like in, in tennis, it's a match point and you get down on your knees, but ultimately life goes on. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Maria Sharapova is a world-renowned tennis star who went on to become a successful entrepreneur who built an empire through various high-profile endorsements and appearances, including Nike. She talks about how resilience and self-confidence are her lifelong keys to success. So Maria, after you first came to the United States with your dad, um, your dad was soon out of work because of a work injury. He almost got evicted out of your home. Right. Can you tell us how that felt? Um, When you're young, I think the perception of of money is not quite... um, as developed as it is when you're older, but the things that you do notice are, oh, wait, I might not have a place to sleep in, or oh, I might not um, be able to go to the academy on. So it was more of like the the things that you could actually see that money was able to provide you at that time, but the sense of money was not um, very much a reality at that point because I was so young. So much of your family's future was riding on your success as a tennis player. Did you feel that financial pressure as you got older? I think looking back at that, I think that was one of the greatest gifts when I think of what my parents sacrificed and did um, moving from one country to another and developing this talent of mine and, and a passion for sport. And every moment that I look back to kind of the the vigorous training um, and the intense conversations between myself and them, whether it was a bad match or a bad practice or things weren't going according to plan or I was growing and just didn't, the expectations that were there just weren't exceeding. I never for a second thought that they were doing this just to make me a champion. I always believed um, and I understood that they were doing it from the very bottom of their heart because I was their child and they wanted me to be happy with what I was doing. Everyone had mentioned that I could be successful one day and that I could be talented, but the realistic approach that they had and acknowledging that you can take so many different turns and can take so many paths and it might not work out. And they were so real, like going back to Russia was an option and they were okay with it. It wasn't failure to them. How do you not let that get in your head when so many people are saying you're going to be this huge success? Um, Because I don't think I'm still very much that way. I don't think you ever know what the real success is. I mean, uh, we do interviews and someone says, oh, you mentions your titles and what you've achieved. But on a daily basis, it's not like I'm making my cup of coffee and someone is saying, um, oh, yes, in the back of your mind, you've done that. Like you go about your routines in your life and you go about when it's your job, you try to improve in your job, whether it's result oriented, whether it's ethic oriented, whether it's trying to get a better team, you're always looking to improve. So success is a very... Uh, 
it's a moment like in, in tennis it's a match point and you get down on your knees but ultimately like, life goes on and um and we're all trying to be better and you know even in kind of today's position for me like what is it about like so many people ask me you've achieved so many things and you've been able to um, be part of so many brilliant things like why not move on and I think the simple answer is because there's so much I get out of waking up and performing to be a better athlete that's such a unique feeling um, to have and I thrive on that because even though maybe that doesn't bring me results but the feeling that I have um, that I accomplished something on that day the work ethic that I that I had and, and also the mentality that I carried and I always believe that that will spread out into other things in life. Where do you get your confidence from? I think confidence comes from consistency. I think there's something in being consistent with what you're doing and creating really great positive habits. It's so easy to get off of those habits, whether it is something to do with nutrition, whether it is sleep, whether it is uh, conflict with uh, your team or or relationships, kind of getting those things when, when you're able to let things go and let things flow in, in a sense that gets you to your, your goals, it's a lot easier. But I think those moments where you do come into conflict with whether it's your emotions or sometimes even confidence, it's good to have that little like conversation within yourself. So is there a mantra you say to yourself or? When something comes across that's very challenging and difficult, I always say that how you handle it, no matter in what field it is, will ultimately be how you handle other things in life. Talk a little bit more about challenges in a second, but you spoke about training at tennis clubs where there was many spoiled young girls. I'm wondering how that affected your view of wealth. Well, at that age, I loved sleepovers where kids had wealthy parents and huge round staircases, <laughs> which I'd never seen in my life, um, and big fluffy pillows and all that stuff and a trampoline, which just the things that I wasn't accustomed to. So that to me was was wealth when I was young. And, and I never really thought like, oh, why don't I have that? Is like I just always felt like I was on a different track to what everybody else was doing. And I think that's part of the, the mentality that I developed. I'm not quite sure where, but maybe it was from growing up in maybe tougher conditions than others and understanding that you have to work so hard at one thing um, and put so much of the percentage of your concentration onto that one thing and not spread yourself too thin because you want to be great at one thing. I think that's much more powerful than being good at many things. So you didn't equate wealth with being mean because some of those girls were very mean and nasty to you. No, not at all. I think it was uh, it was more the age difference. I was much younger than they were. Um, so we had we also had very different interests. And I think I understood what it took from a young age to to be good. It, it took going to sleep at a certain hour. It took coming back from practice and getting a rope and stretching because, um, you know, now I have a team that like stretches me post workouts. But when you're um, 10 or 13 years old, like you do that stuff on your own. I mean, you have to. All the little things that go into making someone great at what they do. So how did you learn how to handle money? I think not necessarily having a lot or not necessarily understanding what is a lot and how much it, it actually takes to work for nothing. I realized that it's a not only is it a personal possession, it's always your choice with what you do. And it's also being under the influence of, of really strong characters of parents that, you know, every single day that taught me something very valuable. My father was more in sports and you know, something I, I speak about in, in my book was how my father was more of the, the sports influence. And then when I would come home, my my mother was the cultural, it was the schoolwork, it was the life lessons. And 
And then I would get the life lessons on the court from my father that kind of transitioned onto kind of my character. How involved are you in managing your own finances? I'd say when you start from not much and, and you make um, you, know, you make money throughout your career, I think you better be involved in, in, in all, like, from the smallest things to the largest things. I have someone that overlooks my, my portfolio, but I have constant meetings about it and I make decisions. And I also try to, I mean, learning, I think, is I didn't have a formal type of education when I was young and I... You know, it's somewhat became street smart by traveling the world, by having to show up, really. When you go to a tournament, there's so many responsibilities as an athlete. It's not just, yes, it's walking through a tunnel and performing in front of thousands of people, but there's the way that you carry yourself. There's the fans that expect a lot from you in moments when you're down and maybe you haven't had a good match. So I think it's the presence, it's the conversations that you have with people that are very real and raw. It's the press conferences, it's the sponsor visits. You know, it takes a lot of people to make something happen and just realizing that is extremely important. Coming up, more from Maria about her big new goals for 2019. When it comes to building and financing stronger businesses, Apollo does the heavy lifting by providing customized capital solutions to drive innovation and growth. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. We often talk about feeling isolated when you were growing up, the sense of loneliness. Do you still feel that sense of loneliness? Well, sport is very isolating. Um, I think you have a team that prepares you, and I think that's very relevant to business as well. Yes, you have a team that prepares you. You hire the best people that you believe are going to get you to the top, but you pick up your bag and you pick up, you know, that notepad and that pen and you go into a meeting, you go into center court and it's like you're on your own. Um, it's your own thing. You control your wins and you control your losses. And at the end of the day, yes, everyone takes a little bit of responsibility. But I think that's the greatest thing about being the champion at the end of a tournament is you can carry that whole responsibility of being a winner. But the toughest part and the other side of it is a, is a much darker um, lonelier aspect of sport is that you go back to your hotel room and everything is upon you. And how do you cope with that? Um, time. <laughs> I think time um, is a very strong element in coping with um, defeats. And, and I do say that there's something um, for everyone that you can take away from defeats. And I certainly have. I've always found them much more valuable than than winning in terms of the things that you learn. I mean, learning is one of the best qualities and being interested in things. And I think losing puts a lot of questions in front of you that you have to answer as well and ask yourself. So what questions did you put in front of yourself when you faced the ban? Well, first of all, it was really like getting through it in, in the first period of time and really understanding, you know, having the opportunity to not play again was always a choice on the table. But I think the question I kept asking is, how much do I still want this and how much do I still love this and how much I want to fight for it? And there was a, there was never a doubt that my commitment to the sport and my passion for it was always present and always there. And sort of the, the dignity, the honesty behind it as well, um, I think that's what kind of helped me get through it and, and made it um, much better on the other side. What did you learn during that time? I mean, throughout my career, I tennis specifically and 
because I think it's very different to other sports. I think you learn like who your friends and who isn't your friend very fast, especially when you're a foreigner in a new country and you're always the youngster among older children. You just become, you kind of learn like on the spot, on the job. And so I definitely did a little bit of that. And I really understood really the meaning of relationships, the meaning of people that have your back and support you and and what a a true fan is. That's one of the things that I had a completely or gained a completely different um, vision on is like the understanding of what a fan really is and what they bring to the table and how much you inspire people from the letters that I was receiving to the amount of support that I was getting from them. And yeah, it just made me value what I did so much more than before because I realized that I wasn't just doing it for myself and for my family, but I was doing it for so many other people that I had inspired. Did you learn anything about reputation or branding during that time? Well, definitely. I think there's so many things that come up along the way. Um, you know, the first thing was was getting my sport back, and that was ultimately the most important part of the piece of the puzzle because um, – Time um, wasn't really on my side because I was certain, I'm certainly toward the end of my career than I am at the beginning of it. So I wanted to get back um, as soon as possible. But I was very fortunate, you know, to have started my relationship with brands from a very young age, relationships that I've had and held on to for many years and which I continued even after the suspension. So that was very, um, I think that spoke a lot about the trust that you know, they had in me and the belief that they had in me. Yeah, that was very incredibly comforting, of course. Speaking of relationships, you know, some women may hold themselves back because they want to be liked by everybody. What do you say to those women? I think you have to be true to, it's like a very old answer, but you do have to be true to who you are. I think you, you know, when you're on a mission and when you're committed, you're not only going to make friends along the way and not, not everyone you know, our society in today's world, um, not everyone's going to like everything that you do from what you wear to the things that you say. And ultimately, does that really matter if you believe in your actions and if you believe in your words and if you believe in in your goals and your future? That is the most important thing because that's how you will carry yourself, not everyone else. You say you didn't really want to make friends on the court because it makes it difficult to compete. Do you feel the same way about business? I'd say maybe that that is a little different. I mean, there's similarities with sport and business in the sense that, yeah, I am very competitive and I do want to be, I do want to be successful in the businesses that I have um, as it's incredibly important to me. You know, I get off the court and I, I work through things in my mind of things that I want to achieve and um, people that I want to work with. But um, I've definitely understood and, and still learning the relationship building process and you know, I think they call it networking but such it's a little bit of a of a cold and strange word but in a sense it's kind of like getting to know people and the connections that you make with people and people always come back in your life at some point and in the end it's always a very very small world what's the most important thing you've learned about networking that sometimes it's better to get out than stay in your pajamas <laughs> I mean, I much prefer to stay in with with a glass of wine and pajamas, but sometimes you get a lot of um, incredible information. And I've had so many examples of that, in the, even just in the last few years and getting to know different people that have like the curiosity that I've had in different people and, and what they do. And even if it's not something that could ultimately help you or help your job, but it just opens your mind. And, you know, we're so consumed in the world of, 
electronics and and being familiar and it's almost like it you know electronics becomes a safe place where there's no judgment like on your there's a lot of judgment on social media but there's no judgment like you just feel like you can go on there and take it as it is whereas when you have to go in a group with people that you're not you know you're not familiar with um and come up to them introduce themselves introduce yourself to them that's different you know that's like putting yourself out there that's not being comfortable but finding a way finding a familiar ground with them do you have to introduce yourself i do i think it's incredibly important to come up and say hi my name is my name is maria and whoever it is i it doesn't i i, I think that's a, a polite way to go about things <laughs> or at least my mother has told me so what's the most important lesson you learned at harvard i would say for me it was really about the the people i found myself in a classroom with <laughs> 50 people that were much wiser and older than i was and mostly men <laughs> as well um it was probably 80 percent um male to 20 percent female and I had to be the one that would come up and, and speak to them. I think there's also like a little bit of intimidation factor. I didn't think they expected me to be in, in a classroom. And so speaking to them and understanding what everybody does and, you know, we're there kind of on the same mission, maybe for different ideas and different products. And some are CEOs, some are starting in a company. It's not just about going to Harvard and getting a stamp or a little piece of paper with a diploma. There's so much more more to or at least I hope so for the, for the 10,000 that you pay for a week. <laughs> I was like I hope I'm getting more than just a piece of paper. Um which I certainly did, but it was for me it was really um getting to know the people and like that unfamiliar ground because I'm always around people I know. So just throwing myself out there was and like asking a question in a schoolroom. It's like okay, at Harvard <laughs> when you're like not having an answer but you're asking a question. Like okay, once I did that, I I cooled down. How do you deal with it when people are starstruck and you're just trying to be a student in a classroom learning and they're distracted by you? I don't think I'd ever notice that when everyone goes to a particular it's very different being in a classroom with people that have the same goals um rather than maybe going to like a sponsor visit where the intention is to take a picture with me and um, getting to know me more. So I, I didn't I didn't feel that at all. Speaking of sponsors, what do you say to people who say you only got certain contracts because you're blonde and good looking? Well, good luck. <laughs> you can go to the you can go to the hairstylist and get your color blonde and but there's it takes a lot more than that, which is an amazing feeling. I think if somebody does say that, I mean, I guess you could go and and try it yourself in a Oh, I mean, walk the walk and don't talk the talk. That's something that I've heard many people say, but I do believe I believe in that a lot. How did you financially adjust when you lost some endorsements? I mean, I think I've done a really uh, great job over the course of my career to to manage the money that I've had. I invest good good money, I'd say solid money to have a great team. Great talent is not cheap, and that's in in any field whether in you're an athlete or I understand um, the importance of treating your team really well, that ultimately, if the goal is to be a champion and, and to win Grand Slams, if the goal is to make a certain amount of money in a company, um, you need talent. You can't just rely on yourself. And I understand what 1% can do and 2% can do. Um, and I've done a very great job of, of managing my money. So was it tough to not get um, one extension out of the amazing amount of brand partnerships that I had? Yeah, of course, because it was 
And not so much about the money. It was more about the, the relationship itself and kind of the people that you work with. I think that's much more valuable than money. You work with a lot of female entrepreneurs. You try to mentor them. What's one lesson about entrepreneurship you're trying to impart to them? When you're just starting out, we always feel that we have to be perfect at all different like segments. And um, I came into a candy business not being familiar with the category. But I think there's something really cool and special about coming into a job, a certain job description, not necessarily being that because you're able to bring in a different point of view. You're able to to have a different opinion. And even if someone has an opinion of their own, it's nice to have a, a challenger because I think from that is where you create a lot of great ideas. What do you splurge on? Art. I love art. What I kind love of contemporary art? art. Contemporary yeah. Art. Um, More than shoes or anything else. <laughs> I don't know why, but I, I'm, I love architecture, and I've recently started a project um, on health and wellness um, buildings around the world, um, and uh, architecture and design and art has kind of become part of it. I read that you read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning love several times. Book. Yes. Why do you love it? I think the essence of that book, because the title implies that it's a male-oriented book, which is which very much it isn't. Like when you're stripped down from everything, like all the possessions that you have, and you face you're faced with a question like, "What do you live for? And why are you here? And what is your purpose?" I think there's so much more meaning um, than what is your favorite piece of art or what is like that. If you're able to think that in a challenging moment um, and you're able to change that perspective, because it's also like tricking your mind a little bit. We're so it's so easy to think negatively. It's so easy to go about our day. It's like our minds are wired to consistently put ourselves down, um, to find ways to find something wrong. If we're looking at a picture, it's always the angle we don't like. It's always the framing we don't like. I mean, thank goodness we have like 25 different filters that we can use. But ultimately, like the, it's the Im- when you have those imperfections and when you don't feel perfect, it's like, what are you still striving for? That that was like the book's meaning, which I really, really appreciated. What do you feel like your purpose is? Um, to keep improving. And that's always been a big part of my journey, not just improving my forehand or improving my serve or um, improving, like finding the right attitude, finding the right way to cope with the situation, the little improvements in life that we have to make and, and, and adjustment as well, like adjustments to circumstances. When you get older, your goals change, your view of the world changes and are able to adjust to those circumstances. What would you still like to achieve? Oh, many things, not necessarily on the court, um, whether they're business or family oriented. I, I don't really, uh, maybe I'm a little superstitious, but I, I don't talk about my goals very often. But, you know, I'm also someone that's toward the end of my career and I start thinking about family and, um, yeah, which is a, a, my, my mom had when she was very young. So I have like a very deep friendship with her and I rely on that a lot. And um, there's something about passing on your knowledge and your wealth of like, education through your life um, and history through to, to hopefully your future children. So that, yeah. You said, to paraphrase you, women have to believe that they're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? I do believe in an inner confidence. And, and that doesn't come easy. I think it takes time to build um, somewhat of a self-esteem, right? Like this feeling that, yeah, I'm on top of the world. And that doesn't mean that you have to be um, cocky or full of ego. But it's almost like my head's high, my shoulders are back, um, and I'm going to walk out there and I'm going to own this. And it's... No, I guess it's that inner inner energy 
that a woman can create, and I think that's incredibly powerful. What's the most important professional decision in your career? Well, I think adjusting to circumstances in a in an athlete's career is incredibly important because what you need when you're young, um, and I do think that is very similar to other jobs, is not what you need when you're older. Um, the skill set that you possess when you're older is much wider, is much more experienced. Those have been challenging for me because I, I get very comfortable in situations. And, and, and a lot of times, comfort turns into complacency, and that's never a good sign. Time now for your secrets. I am Maria Sharapova, and my money secret is time is money, so make sure that your time is valuable. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. John Wardock is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women. Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.